Hey, what's up? This is Gustavo Ariano. Every Friday, we're turning over the mic to one of my awesome LA Times colleagues, and today we welcome Sonia Sharp. Her stories about parenthood, childhood, and everything kid are smart and empathetic, but today, Sonia is bringing us a particularly personal story about herself. I'm Sonia Sharp. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is October 22nd, 2021. How big is the brother right now? As long as my arm, but like this. Like what? Like this. Curled up? Yeah, this yeah. big. And what are we waiting for the brother to do right now? Turn around. Why? Which way does he need to be? Sideways? Upside down. Upside down, with his head going which way? That's my son, Ram. He's five years old, and like me, he's preparing for someone new to come into our lives. We're a pretty typical family, and in a lot of ways, I'm a typical mom. But being disabled means I've rarely been treated that way, particularly by the medical system. I have a spinal cord injury from a rare neurological illness. While disabled women like me now get pregnant and give birth at the same rate as non-disabled ones, our outcomes are often far worse for reasons that can't be explained by anatomical difference or medical complexity. I'd experienced some of these harms myself, but... I had no idea how common they were until I started researching this story this spring. Even now, it's incredibly difficult to find data or information about disability in pregnancy. To give you a sense of how new this research is, the last time I was pregnant, almost none of it existed. To help me with this story, I spoke to obstetricians, researchers, activists, and disabled birth parents to show how these statistics shape the reproductive lives of families across California for a piece in the Los Angeles Times newspaper. Today on the podcast, we bring you some of those interviews. Hi, Marie. Hi. I I wanted to talk to you today because I know that you are about to start again with IVF to try to get pregnant after... This summer, I met Dr. Marie Flores at her home in Whittier, California to talk about her journey to motherhood. I mean... There are people out there that think people with disabilities are just these asexual bodies floating around. And it's like, we're humans too. We have desires, we have wants, we have needs. We can fall in love, we can have sex. God forbid, you know? Um, So, and I don't think it came out of some malicious desire to like put me down. Mm. I think that it mostly comes from lack of knowledge little bit of ignorance, and maybe even curiosity that doesn't come out very poorly. <laughs> right, right. You know? The National Council on Disabilities estimates there are at least 4.1 million disabled parents raising kids under 18, making them about 25% more common than disabled children, according to the U.S. Census. In California, the cradle of the disability rights movement, thousands give birth every year. Disabled doctors, artists, athletes, and politicians are increasingly seen as normal, Disabled mothers are still scarcely imagined to exist. But people who don't know me make whatever assumption they make based on their life experience. So yeah, people can be mean, people can be rude. I mean, especially in medical school, like I struggled with even like, you know, professors and administrators who doubted that I could do anything. Hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I had someone tell me, well, you'll never deliver a baby. 
And wow. that was really hard. That was really hard to deal with because it's like, okay, I may do things differently. And ultimately, I've delivered many babies. <laughs> we'll have more after this break. Before the break, I spoke about reaching out to Dr. Marie Flores to learn more about how other disabled women experience pregnancy. And I couldn't help but notice the image of the artist Frida Kahlo throughout her home. I admire her in multiple ways. She's a Mexican artist that broke barriers like you would not believe. And also she struggled with disability herself. And she's just beautiful. And everybody knows that she had, you know, issues with her legs and, um, used a wheelchair sometimes, you know, she would kind of be able to walk and struggled also to become a mom and was not something that she kept secret or was shy about. She wrote about it. She painted about it. It also makes me think, you know, how many disabled women out there maybe went through a similar experience with her and they're not necessarily amazing painters or famous or whatever. They're human and that's okay, but we don't hear their stories, you know. Like so many other women that I've been talking to for this project, you are disabled. And disabled women uh, have babies about the same amount as non-disabled women. And yet, we kind of never see ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I wanted to ask you, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I live here in Los Angeles County with my husband, our pets. I am a family medicine doctor and epidemiologist, uh, so I see uh, patients uh, during the week in a primary care setting. And can you tell me a little bit about your disability? Yeah, so um, the condition that I have, I inherited it from my father, who also has the same condition, um, and I use a wheelchair. I am able to walk. Uh, but I don't have good balance. So I use a wheelchair to go around and um, you know, there were times where I thought, okay, we could have this, we could have a complication. But at the same time, I have been in and out of hospitals my whole life. I've had eight surgeries in my life. You know, even when people were worried about the risk, you know, very well-meaning doctor in my head, I was like, okay, but I just, I need you to know that I get that. Yes, there's an increased risk. I still want to do it. Mm. I still want to try, mm. you know? When did you know you wanted to be a mother? I think even before I met my husband, it was something that I had wanted, just seeing other women in my family raise babies, raise children. Um, it's something that I've wanted for a long time, and it's natural, right? It's kind of ingrained in our DNA to want to reproduce and have children, so... Was that the reaction that you got from friends, family, doctors, that, so, oh, that's natural, of course you want that? So for some people, yes, absolutely. Super supportive, some people in my family, my really close friends. Um, but unfortunately, that was not always a reaction. <laughs> and I don't know where that came from. I suspect it's from just not knowing if someone with a disability could go through the physical labor of having a baby, um, but no, it, I did not always get supportive reactions when that's something that I had expressed that I wanted to do. What kind of reactions did you get that were not so supportive? Um, well, you can't do this. Why would you do that? And that was before we had issues with fertility. So it was kind of like, 
okay, well, we want to get pregnant. And we told some people, but not everybody. And then if it happened, it was going to happen. Um, but years and years went by and we weren't getting pregnant. And um, so we had to look for help. And unfortunately, there were people in my life, including family, um, that were not supportive and thought that me having a pregnancy would be something that was too dangerous or that I could not do. I do want to say, though, at the same time, there were others who were unconditionally supportive. I remember my sister, Anita, told me she she has a, a daughter, my niece, Ramona. And I remember her telling me, um, having your own child is worth risking your life. It's worth it. So if that's what you want to do, I support. I have done things in my life that nobody thought that I could, like become a physician, drive a car, get married. <laughs> and I don't know why people think that way. Um, probably because of stereotypes that are just prevalent in society about women with disabilities. Um, but it's interesting, you know, because it was my experience, like as a person, kind of patient, you know, there's also my experience as a woman of color. And then there's also, you know, being a physician and a public health person who's really into research and science. And, um, you know, trying to bring that together uh, makes for like a, a maybe different perspective. We talked about perceptions about intelligence based on the fact that you're in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Why are people shocked by seeing a woman in a wheelchair who's pregnant? I was already a doctor. And so I was asking very specific questions. I was advocating for very specific things. And the doctors could talk to me in like doctor language, you know, advanced terms. So I feel like it maybe was a little unfair. I, I felt like I had to defend myself. Mm. Okay. I want to try and have a vaginal delivery. Is that completely unreasonable? I've had people make comments to me like, oh, wait, you're going to have a baby? How are you going to deliver the baby? Like, How's it going to come out of your butt? You know, like, I don't want to have an alien pelvis from like out of this world. You know, it's it's just just because I'm sitting in this chair and it's not something that you recognize doesn't mean that I can't do stuff, you know? Right. There are no women like florists in obstetric textbooks. They are not pictured on pampers or empimal cartons, not counted in maternity statistics. Though disabled women now get pregnant and give birth at the same rate as non-disabled ones, most obstetricians know a little more about them than Kahlo's doctors did in 1932. At every step, by virtually every measure, modern medicine has turned its back on these women. People with disabilities who grew up with the right to study, work, and access public spaces are sometimes shocked by the stigma they face when they seek to have children. Even today, public health authorities keep detailed records on disabled women's contraceptive use, and no records at all on what happens if and when those same women get pregnant. The first OB I saw when I was pregnant with my son took one look at me and my medical chart and promptly asked me to leave. Other disabled women may go through eight or nine doctors before they find one who is willing to take their case. That's one reason why Dr. Deborah Krakow, head of obstetrics and gynecology at UCLA, chose this specialty. She's one of the most sought after and trusted providers for women with disabilities. I spoke with her at UCLA Medical Center to understand more about why disabled women struggle to access competent maternity care and how it could be better. 
So I think the first issue for me wearing a physician hat is does their disability or caused either acquired or because they have a genetic disorder, how is that going to influence a pregnancy? So is being pregnant safe for the mother because she's the patient at first? Um, and is that fetus going to grow well in that environment because we want people to have the healthiest babies they can? So I think that's the, the first thing that I think about. I've seen in that community just a lot of misinformation. Um, some of it is because obstetrician gynecologists, I mean, these are rare events. Hmm. Um, and so they're not well-trained, but not even training. They're just not aware of what it is to have the genetic disorder, what it is to have the disability, what are the physical ramifications of that problem and how that will interact with the pregnancy. And sometimes their first um, go-to is, oh, we don't think that's good for you to get pregnant. Mm. And it really isn't grounded really in understanding the physiology. Because for me, it's just, is it going to be safe for the mother and the baby? And so I've become a real advocate to the obstetrics community and saying, look, if you see someone who you're not sure how pregnancy is going to go, just call me or call somebody who would understand this. Because we want people to have families if that's what they want. And what is the experience that you hear from your patients when they get that kind of feedback of, oh, you just shouldn't get pregnant? How does that feel to them? Oh, it, you know, I, I, it just breaks my heart because most patients do extremely well in pregnancy. And there are, of course, certain conditions where we would say that that's going to be dangerous for the mother and the baby, but they're very rare. I think it's just heart-wrenching to me because these are people who already feel stigmatized. Mm. And as, as individuals, so many people want to have families, right? Not, it's not maybe for everybody, but for people who want to have families who we know are going to be great parents. And, and I'm completely supportive of it. I can think of over my career a handful of times where I say, you know, I'm so worried that you'll, you'll lose your life being pregnant, so let's help find you a surrogate or some other means of having a child. But I would really say that those are rare events. Most people um, do actually for most disabilities, particularly many genetic disorders, do, do, do well in pregnancy. Right. And one of the things we've talked about before is that pregnancy is not without risk to anybody, right? Even, exactly. It may be riskier for some people, but it's actually not without risk for any patient. Exactly. So everybody comes into pregnancy with a 1%, 5% risk, right? 3% of all babies have congenital birth defects. 5% of women will develop hypertension in pregnancy. People develop gestational diabetes. And so you're 100% right. And it's always, how are those risks going to play with the underlying, um, what I would say, issue, not problem, mm. the patient is presenting with? Right. Another thing you mentioned when you talk about congenital abnormalities, right, in, in children, there are some patients, including some of the subjects that I've spoken to, who have a genetic condition that they don't want to pass to their children. There are others, including some who you've treated and I've spoken to, who would really like to share their genetic makeup with their child. And I think that that 
element in particular is something that's just not widely understood. And even people have shared with me that their doctors speak to them as though it's a tragedy if their child shares their condition. A hundred percent. And that's where I think it's just, um, one of the things I've learned and been privileged to really be part of this community is that we're sometimes not very good at listening to the patient. Clearly, if the patient wants to do something that we think is going to endanger their life or leave them with significant problems that will worsen their condition, that's one thing to speak up. But, but to judge people on what their genetic issue is, their disability, their appearances, it is just so unfair and just further adds burden to an individual who already, you know, has been, things are happening to them that, you know, you could perceive as just maybe not fair. Mm. And they're already dealing with that. And so to add that on to say, no, you can't have a child like that because we think those are bad things. Again, it's just, I think, psychologically damaging and discourages the patients from um, trusting the medical community. Right, right. I remember when I was pregnant and uh, the last time, and there was a chance a test came up that my son might have had spina bifida. And I was being urged to take further testing to find out if that might be true, testing that could have endangered the pregnancy. And I was trying to convey to my doctor, I would love a child with spina bifida. I had a lot of friends growing up with spina bifida. It's kind of similar to issues that I have with my disability. And they were just kind of incredulous. Right. And, and, and you know, I'm going to wear another hat, which is, you know, obstetrician gynecologists, as well as physicians in general, really believe in, quote unquote, healthy, right? Mm -hmm. We want people to be healthy. I want people to have beautiful, healthy babies that have no problems that don't need special care because we don't want anyone to suffer. And so sometimes we bring that view and then we make sort of maybe a blanket um, judgment. And, you know, I have just been mesmerized and awed by being in communities where people do have differences and to see what they're capable of achieving with support and recognitions of their individual talents. Given the existing research, it's tempting to draw a grim portrait of disabled motherhood in the U.S. But like the bright dresses Frida Kahlo wore to hide her polio-shortened leg and orthopedic corsets, the data can obscure as much as they reveal. The research would not exist at all if not for the National Institutes of Health, which started funding it after disabled women started getting pregnant in statistically significant numbers. For women with spina bifida or cerebral palsy, that's because they live longer. For those with MS or lupus, it's a function of better treatment and care. And almost all disabled people who get pregnant today grew up with the Americans with Disabilities Act, which has afforded them more legal, physical, and economic autonomy than in any previous generation. What's more, the research consistently shows that disabled women want children just as much as non-disabled ones do, and are willing to fight much harder to have them, despite public erasure, medical ignorance, and overwhelming social stigma.
Pregnancy is one of the most statistically normal biomedical events that someone with a uterus can experience. By their mid-40s, the overwhelming majority of American women are mothers, and even more have been pregnant at some point in their lives. Treating or avoiding pregnancy is also one of the main reasons younger women see doctors, which is why ruling it out is so often the first step in a medical visit. Yet for disabled women, that norm is often treated as aberrant. For Dr. Marie Flores, motherhood remains at the unfinished center of her complex self-portrait. I don't even know how to explain it, Sonia, but just this feeling of like femininity, like I'm a woman, I'm pregnant. I've done like the thing that like has been what women do and only women do. To me, this is what makes disabled motherhood such a radical act. It upends all these stereotypes we still have about disabled people, even 30 years after the passage of the ADA. That accommodations somehow cheapen our achievements, that our successes are symbolic, that no matter what we contribute, we can't be quote-unquote productive members of society the way non-disabled people are. But motherhood is undeniable. How inadequate can we really be if we made life? Sonia reported this story with support of the USC Annenberg Center for Health Journalism's 2021 California Fellowship. Check out her work along with videos and photos by Jessica Chen and Christina House at latimes.com. That's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Next week, more essential randomness, first-hand accounts from sailors stuck in the middle of the great supply chain locura, the very American story of the Mexican holiday Dia de los Muertos, and 26-year-olds check in about life. As Olivia Rodrigo says, it's brutal out here. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, and Ashley Brown. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb, and our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Hector Becerra, and Shelby Grad. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Monday with all the news in Desmadre. Gracias. <laughs>